episode three is when we take a step back and learn a little bit about biology. We speak to Dr. Thomas Shanley, who uh, was a very valuable resource for us back at that time frame about fetal development and what's going on uh, with the major organs and how they develop inside the womb and what are the issues you need to be concerned about. So I hope you enjoy the little biology lesson. Uh, It's very insightful. Tom Shanley, how are you? Thomas, how are you, my friend? Sorry, I was uh, apparently in the... I was just calling you back. I hope it's not crossing paths, but... No. I was in the bowels of the water tower parking structure, so... Oh, oh, well, yeah, is, is now a good time? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, uh, I, I'm recording you right now, Mr. Shanley, or Dr. Shanley, I should say. <laughs> good, and, I hope you have a good editor. Well, yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see. Deneen's the editor, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But we're, we're, you know, just given the whole COVID situation and how hard it is to get people together, we're doing a podcast for the Twins 30th. I think you know that from the text I sent you. And we've, yeah. done, we've done a couple of episodes now where we just set up what was going on in, in the 1990s because, boy, that's a long time ago, 30 years ago. And, and I'm not sure if you, if you remember how much we relied on you back in that time. Because if you recall back in 1990, Tommy, there was, there was no internet, there was no, there was no Google. So when you needed to find out something, if you didn't have somebody to call, you, you, you really, we were kind of stuck, right? You, so that's fascinating, fascinating to think back. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but that's absolutely the case. Yeah, yeah. I think in 1990, the internet was just a twinkle in somebody's eye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, I'm did Al Gore invent it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and you know the thing that you used to have back in the day was an Encyclopedia Britannica or something like that. You know, you look yep. something up. But anyway, you were you were you were you were Tom and Deneen's Google back in the day uh, related. Well, to, I don't you are you are our version of Web Web MD. You know, so when we needed some help and understanding stuff, uh, you were kind enough to to come to our rescue and I'm not sure if you remember but do you remember us talking to you and 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 you walking yeah, us yeah some of the some of the stuff when Dee was uh in, pre- in premature labor trying to try to keep the girls inside and uh just asking some of the questions about that so yeah and yeah you, you know you which you should have you should have definitely found somebody with a little bit more expertise though so, you know one one year into my residency in pediatrics so <laughs> oh, well, uh, you were you were a godsend to us. You were an absolute godsend. Um, uh, I don't know if you you, you uh, remember the conversations, but I certainly do because when when uh, Deneen went into premature labor, well, let, let's stop. I, we're getting in too far on the interview. What okay. I what I first wanted to get your uh, uh, articulation of is just you know, just how a baby develops in, in utero and, and just what are the key moments in that development when they, you know, can sustain themselves outside of 
their uh, their mother and, and just how right. how crucial it is to sustain that that uh, environment for as long as possible. So yeah, well, um, well, there's a there's a, a, an amazing complexity of things that have to go right that it is truly uh, the miracle of life uh, to, to actually understand how uh, a fetus develops uh, and and then when you think about the potential complications uh, associated with two of them uh, developing uh, simultaneously it, it's just it's truly truly a miracle um, the, the most important uh, aspect is um, the twins concerns are even more different than the singlet concerns and so the the thing that has to happen is the nutrition of mom uh, to the babies and in twin cases because of the way the placenta can develop and provide the blood flow and the nutrients to the babies that um, to get that to happen in balance uh, between two uh, two two fetuses developing is is often very tricky and can be complicated and um, so for, that's one of the major concerns. First of all, is that you can get what's called a a twin to twin transfusion, where one of the one of the fetuses actually steals too much of the blood flow away, which is which complicates their development, but also obviously complicates the development of the the smaller one. And so. That's a common risk and a thing that we, we worry about, and, and that can develop all along. The, um, you know, then, then you really, uh, you, you know, I always, because of my background, I, I'm always focused on the next sort of critical organ to develop, which is the heart. And now in the days when even then we still had pretty good ultrasounds to examine the ongoing development of the babies. Uh, and, and observe whether the heart, you know, was forming the right chambers and, and having the right connections through that. And so that to me is such a complicated folding process and septating process that uh, it, it really is amazing. It doesn't go awry more often than it really does. Um, and we become good when it does, but um, that's sort of the next stage. And then the final piece, which is so important, is what we describe always the, as the extra uterine, so outside of the womb, uh, transition. And obviously, baby's lungs are, uh, you know, collapsed and full of water, uh, and they're getting their oxygen from, from mom through the placenta. But, you um, know, uh, when they come out, they, they need to expand and, and need to be able to take over their own oxygenation with, with mature functioning lungs and that is really the last stage of maturity process that has to happen and so historically what we've learned is that when infants come out uh, too premature uh, the, the most important organ that ends up not being ready to sustain their lives are their lungs and uh, that's uh, you, you may, you, we may want to talk about some of the therapies that have been valuable for infants that are born premature but there's a very key protein lining of the lungs that is secreted at a certain maturity level called surfactant. Yeah, and um, yeah, surfactant. when that's not, yeah, when that's, yeah. when infants are born too prematurely, they don't have that and the lungs collapse and can't sustain, lung, can't sustain life outside of the, uh, outside of mom. So, so a lot has been, 
a lot is directed at trying to support organs when they are born too early, and a lot, frankly, is, uh, as Deneen went through with some of the medications, is to try to sustain the fetuses in the womb environment as long as possible to allow that maturation to occur. And there's some tricks that we use for moms uh, to try to accelerate that development of the lungs that so, can help too. Yeah, so this is, you're, you're right on all the issues. It's, it's like, uh, it's kind of neat. So Deneen went into premature labor at 20, just shy of 28 weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll tell a whole episode on, on what happened for that event. But very, very quickly, they started to put her on drugs to try and stop the contractions. And yep. I, I rang you up saying, oh, my God, what are they doing? Because some of the drugs, you know, could, could cause complications for the mother, you know, stop the heart, cause circulatory issues. Um, yep. Yeah, so they, they, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? Just uh, Sure, sure. Well, you know, I mean, it is a, uh, first of all, 30 years ago, um, you know, infants born at 28 weeks, probably were on the order of uh, maybe 1,500 to 2,000 grams, which was tiny. Um, and certainly um, uh, kids, you know, many, many, many children survive being born early at 28 weeks, but frankly, not all. And um, so, so nowadays, if someone, if, it's, if a set of twins got 28 weeks, I'd be a little bit worried, but their, their chances of doing okay uh, in the long run would, were much higher than they were 30 years ago. So the goal of the obstetricians um, at that point would have been to try to keep the twins in uh, as, as long as possible and to try to, to stop the premature delivery. And there's... Um, so the two things that they typically use, the, the uterine contractions are uh, driven by a, uh, a receptor-based uh, uh, muscle contraction mechanism that can be uh, attenuated by, uh, by a series of medications that, that stimulates that receptor. And the, the, the names of those drugs fall under a classification of um, what are called toco lytics and that means the lytic they, they try to stop the uh, the tocos or the contractions the tonic contractions so these are drugs that were that typically uh, depending on how aggressive the pregnancy or the, the uh, labor was proceeding uh, would have been given probably with a continuous infusion uh, and usually in the form of uh, what are called uh, beta blockers and so those can those can those are obviously going in mom and working on the uterus, but can also uh, work on uh, mom's cardiovascular system as well. And then the other major uh, medication that uh, was used to try to also stop the uterus from contracting is very simple. It's a magnesium sulfate salt. And um, uh, that works through a, a similar mechanism to stop the contractions uh, with uh, related to, to kind of inhibiting calcium. And uh, it's it's effective. It's you know givenly usually continuously as well. But it, it has its um, it has its side effects because you have to push it. You're monitoring the uterine contractions. They're using their monitors to see how labor is proceeding, and so they're looking to shut uh, the uterine contractions off. And 
they uh, they dial up and down those medications, including the magnesium sulfate. And the challenge with that is, is while the magnesium can stop the uterus from contracting, it can also stop the nerves from working. And so women very commonly become, um, they lose their reflexes uh, and their, their larger muscles don't contract as well either. So they, they get very weak in terms of their muscles and sometimes even to the point of their respiratory muscles uh, not working as well. Uh, and then it also, uh, you know, we don't always realize this, but the blood vessels have tiny muscles in them as well. And they're, they squeeze to maintain our blood pressure. And so magnesium has a, can have a pretty profound effect on uh, making the these relax and therefore the blood pressures go down and sometimes can go dangerously down uh, for mom. Yeah, yeah. Well, magnesium with, was... With Magnesium, magnesium sulfate was the first line of defense uh, yeah. to get Deneen's contractions to stop. Yeah. And uh, I still remember the obstetrician uh, uh, coming in and asking Deneen if she could, you know, lift her leg. Uh-huh. And, yeah, that's the way to check it. Yeah, and he... She, I think it was a she, wanted to get Deneen to a place where it was difficult for her to, you know, her legs felt heavy and it was difficult for her to raise them. That was the that was the the place she wanted Deneen to be at. And, uh, yeah. You know, I was like, I was a bit freaking out because they when they first bolused her with magnesium, they had a crash cart nearby. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, that's that's more related to the effect on the blood pressure. Yeah, yeah, um, commonly happened, but yeah, and it's a it's a very it was a, it, it remains actually a pretty common approach, and and um, the reason the you you want to give a lot of the medication up front to get the the blood level high, and then you want to keep them on a certain dose of it continuously so that the level remains uh, at 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 the point where. Uh, yeah, they're monitoring two things. They're monitoring the uterine contractions, uh, and then they're monitoring the muscular strength of the, of the mom. So, and and on on that thing, let's you know, let's play this out a little bit because, you know, Deneen ended up uh, staying in the hospital on 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 uh, these drugs for you know about four weeks, almost four weeks to the day. Is that is that unusual that you know people last that long once they go into the premature labor? I mean, she had been I think dilated two or three centimeters by the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. No. I would, especially with twins. Uh, I, you know, or or uh, infants when they're when they're fairly premature, and and um, you you want to get you know at that time in 1990 getting getting four extra weeks of, uh, of uter- intrauterine uh, development it was huge really because um, there is an acceleration towards the end of the organ development uh, and so getting from 28 to 32 weeks is really a kudos to her obstetricians to be able to do that and unfortunate sometimes uh, those medications don't work effectively and, and the, yeah, that, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that, that, yeah, that's the point I was trying to get is how unusual, I, we, we appreciate staying inside Deneen was the goal, how unusual back in that day was, was it to, to get to another four weeks of, of having, yeah. was that, was that normal course or was that, was that pretty special? That's, 
I, 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 normal's hard to say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say it was normal. I would say probably less less often than uh, than half the time would moms be able to be maintained for four weeks. So I would say it, it's you know it's, that wasn't it wasn't rare, um, but um, you know, I would say it was, it's unusual, but certainly was something that happened. Um, and again, uh, again, very fortunate. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very fortunate, especially when you can look back 30 years and smile um, at some of the stuff. Um, uh, another drug that was, that was uh, given to Deneen during the, the four-week time frame was a drug called terbutaline. I think I'm saying yes. it right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was the, that's within the family of the, the cocolytic medications that I was mentioning, um, and that is a... Uh, uh, that's a medication that, that tickles those beta receptors uh, to try to get the contractions to actually stop. So that too was quite common. Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned the lungs, but uh, other things that were going on at the time that, that the doctors were telling me they were, they were you know, watching or concerned about and, and desirous of Deneen keeping him in for as long as possible, certainly the lungs. And we need to come back to the lungs because 1990, they were still doing trials on, on surfactant drugs. It was like the first introduction of those drugs, but we'll, we'll get back to that. But outside of the lungs, the eyes and the brain were two big issues that they, they raised to us as, as, you know, potential complications of, of, of premature uh, delivery. Can you give me some insight into, you know, why those are issues, you know, at 28, 29? Yeah, at 28 weeks, they were very important additional complications that we would run into after babies would, would be born. And um, the, the challenges there first is in the development of the blood vessels of the head. Um, and in particular areas where, you know, we have these water spaces that are called ventricles uh, in our brain that circulate the cerebral spinal fluid and the blood vessels that kind of bridge those to the rest of the brain matter um, require some late uh, maturation towards the end of development. And so if there's uh, premature delivery, those are areas that are um, quite fragile and then can bleed into those, uh, they can break and bleed into those water spaces. And so th that was called um, intraventricular. The water spaces are called ventricles um, and hemorrhage. So intraventricular hemorrhage uh, was a very common uh, risk in, in, that, in that day, still remains so in, in babies born early. Um, and, and in addition, there, there can be some, uh, because the, the baby's uh, blood pressure can sometimes be low related to a, a tiny blood vessel that connects uh, inside a mom that connects the, the, the lung blood vessels to the body blood vessels. It's called a patent ductus arteriosus or PDA. can actually steal blood away from the head uh, if it doesn't close early enough. And so that leaves um, air, uh, low blood pressure to the brain and, um, and it can really, it, it's essentially like a stroke. There can be um, areas where the white, what's called the white matter of the brain is underperfused and you can have um, damage there, which is really what, what, what causes um, cerebral palsy problems 
in uh, babies that are born premature and have that and have that challenge. Um, so always major concerns in terms of uh, normal development of the brain. And then the eye matter is something that um, was a, a longer term concern in the after babies are delivered and. What we've discovered is that, you know, the lungs can be uh, very immature and they need extra oxygen. Uh, the babies need to be taking in extra oxygen more than what we have in room, room, uh, room air uh, percentages. And because of that extra oxygen, we've learned that it actually affects the blood vessels of the retina and can, it actually makes them accelerate their development abnormally. And so it causes what's, what's described as a retinopathy, which is just a, a pathology of the retina, uh, but a retinopathy of prematurity where um, the blood vessels, cause, uh, they can burst, they can um, cause scarring of the retina, and they cause um, you know, visual acuity challenges uh, for the baby's long term. And so we know the risk of the, the longer the baby is exposed to ongoing oxygen therapy, uh, the higher that risk continues to be, which again is why uh, even in, even after they're born, they try to, to get them off of oxygen as quickly as possible and, and really minimize the amount of oxygen that they're exposed to. Yeah, okay, well, so let's go back to the lungs because uh, you, were, you were a lifesaver for us on this issue um, because we were, you know, challenged by the medical team at Loyola to uh, uh, try or think about trying uh, surfactant drugs. And, and in 1990, there was one drug that had just gotten FDA approval. And there was another drug that was still going through trials. And it just so happened that Loyola was one of the hospitals sponsoring the trial of the other drug. And I, I don't know the names of these drugs, but there were two competing drugs. Um, yes. Yeah, one was, uh, I, I don't remember which one was approved and which one was being studied, but one was, I believe, called Exosurf, and the other was called Intrasurf. And they wanted us to go into the trial. And uh, we were like, I mean, we have no idea what you're talking about, right? We just have no clue. Um, so we called you up and we kind of laid it all out. And you were oh so gently recommending that we go with the FDA approved drug. Uh, because the, the trial, you had the risk of, of getting like a placebo or something to that. Right. Right. And, yeah. and you know, this is what you were you were you were good enough to tell us that this was not something to mess around with, that um, the lungs and, and surfactant and, and making them as viable as possible was was goal number one. And, yeah, you know. Don't don't screw around with that. So yeah, although we had yeah, well, I, I I don't I don't really I don't deserve really the credit for that at all. But the, I what deserves the credit for that is the training that I actually was exposed to in a very short period of time. So it's kind of fascinating in retrospect to think. But uh, that was during this all happened during my um, internship uh, year. Uh, pediatric training, uh, maybe just, just done 
maybe very uh, shortly after my internship year into the very beginning of my second year. And, um, you know, nowadays we don't, we don't put first-year residents in intensive care units as, as like we did then. And so my training, I was exposed to, um, to, to the neonatal intensive care unit for a couple of months that I, I did. And uh, one of those I spent with just really one of the, one of the premier uh, investigators of premature lung injury and uh, treatment of it. Uh, her name happened to be Maria Delavoria Papadopoulos. And it's still alive, and it's still a God. I remember. I remember you, uh, Tommy. I remember you uh, talking about her. That name. Yeah, yeah. And she had said she because she was really a pioneer and, and was involved in the in the initial studies and really taught me how to use that medication. And uh, so I, under her tutelage and guidance, I saw this drug uh, really do amazing things in terms of helping. Uh, baby's lungs really get get to a very normal function relatively quickly, and, and enabled us to to use the ventilator with with minimum use as opposed to sort of the maximum use that we had to before um, surfactant was administered. And since we had seen this um, work and established, and there was an opportunity to sort of either, as you say, you had a fifty fifty chance of getting the medications if you were in the study, but a hundred percent if you went ahead with the with the FDA approval and and given the kids being the girls being so young, I, I just felt it was uh, a good idea to go ahead and, and get the FDA approved drug uh, in and going. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, one other thing that was a topic of conversation that we had with you uh, was the the desire and the frequency with which they wanted to uh, give Deneen steroids as a way to... Yes. Yeah, why don't you talk yeah. about the, the, the medical reasons why that is something that... Yeah, and that continues to be a really important mainstay. It, it, um, you know, we've discovered through a lot of uh, people investigating uh, premature development and, and particularly how it affects the lung. We, we discovered that um, exposing uh, moms to, to prenatal, uh, obviously before the baby's born, prenatal steroids actually turned out to accelerate the the mature development of the the lung cells that produce surfactant, and so uh, it, when we when we identified a mom that was carrying a, a fetus that, that had the potential of being born too early, uh, we always tried uh, to get um, at least a couple doses of systemic steroids into mom to accelerate the development of the lungs of the baby, and that was another. You know, that was a real common reason um, that we had moms on, on tocolytic therapy, and we, we were always hoping to be able to get at least a week of uh, the contractions controlled, mostly because, so we could get two doses of steroids a week apart, because uh, at that time, and it may have evolved a little bit in terms of the details of the dosing, but at that time, that was kind of an ideal um, regimen, uh, at least two doses a week apart to try to accelerate the development of the lung and so that was another another key thing that while well, the, the girls were inside D that we, we were hoping to, to be able to accomplish yeah yeah well it seemed to work and then back to your original discussion of of you know when you have twins and you have to worry about uh, how 
you know, there could be competition for nutrients and blood flow and oxygenated blood and all that between the, the twins. Um, you know, when Deneen was taking all of these drugs, uh, it, it did turn out that one, one of the twins was more impacted than the other. And, you know, during delivery, um, you know, uh, Caitlin, uh, Caitlin was first, she came out and she was like crying immediately and then Brianna came out and she was lethargic is the way they described uh, the situation and they 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 uh, indicated that it was likely due to just the the drugs that Deneen was on and, and her her getting you know a good dose of those uh, through the placenta is that something that that happens or uh, it, you know, it, it can it can happen. It, it's a little unusual for um, given the given the way most of the times the placenta is working that a, a drug that's given to mom, you know, should be both babies should be seeing that drug in particular equally, if you will, um, unless there is this uh, imbalance between the blood flow between the two. In which case, you could get differential. Uh, drug effects, and but you can also just get um, differential. Uh, sometimes get some differential uh, alertness effects. Um, actually, more on the baby that gets a little bit more blood flow. They can be a little more um, uh, plethoric. They're, they're sort of um, they, they look swollen because they have too much blood. Uh, their their blood volume can be a little bit too high, and, and actually. Uh, sometimes when babies uh, come out that way, we actually take blood off of them because their hemoglobin levels are actually too high for the body because of this. Um, but there can be other reasons too. The you know making sure, as I, I know they did at the time, checking the blood glucose levels because that can get low and cause that. And, and obviously, anytime the babies are born uh, early, they're they're worried because one of the more common triggers of that are infections in mom's uterus. And um, so they're always worried about infections also having that um, depressive effect on the babies as they come out. So, um, but magnesium, uh, high doses of magnesium is not unusual to sort of cause that, uh, the weakness in the babies uh, sometimes. But surprising that it only was seen in, in, in uh, you said Brianna, but not Katie? Yeah, Brianna, Brianna, but not Caitlin. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, kind of after they were born, um, you know, Brianna, Brianna struggled with making uh, red blood cells. Can you talk about that issue? Because they were talking about doing a transfusion at one point with Brianna. And they were constantly, you know, monitoring. I mean, they, they, the way they did a blood draw for those preemies, and I'm sure you know this, but they would... They would prick their heel and they would squeeze the heel into a vial that would take up the blood and that was the way they did a blood draw and it was it was a bit disturbing for the parents to come in and see their newly born you know tiny tiny infants with these black and blue heels and you were like oh my god what are you doing to my kid but can you can you what is what is what's the medical thing going on there in terms of the blood generation yeah, I remember. I, I remember taking blood from many babies that way too. I feel <laughs> now you make me feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, so it, again, it, 
it's um, you know we've we've talked about a number of the organs, uh, the heart, the lung, the brain, the eyes, and then um, you know another another key organ that needs its needs the full time mom to develop are the kidneys. I mentioned the kidneys is because they are the source of production of a of a hormone or EPO, people call it EPO, EPO for short. Yeah. And uh, erythropoietin or EPO is the hormone the bone marrow and stimulates the bone marrow to make red blood cells. EPO, I and, remember, uh, you know, you say it, I remember EPO. I do remember EPO. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And now we, we now make that, so we can now actually give that. Um, and, and the main patient population we, have, we give it to these days are patients with chronic kidney disease because their kidneys don't work well enough to make the amount of erythropoietin they, they need. And that's why patients with kidney failure have low hemoglobins as well. So, so this is called the uh, anemia of prematurity um, or low red blood cell related to the prematurity that, and again, nowadays um, we'll, we, instead of giving blood transfusions, uh, neonatologists will often just give a dose uh, or two of erythropoietin to try to, to get the, blo- the bone marrow of the baby to start making the, the amount of red blood cells they do. So. Uh, yeah, that was a, a common observation we made in babies born too early. Okay, and then I, I, I thank you for all this time, but the last thing I want to get from you, just to give some medical background to some of these issues, is when they were born, they had not developed a appropriate uh uh, sucking uh, reflex or mm-hmm. eating, eating, whatever it is you want to call it. So they, they were fed for some period of time on feeding tubes where a tube was inserted through their nostril down into their tummy and we would, we would feed them that way. Can you, can you shed some light on what's going on during this, this time frame in terms of that, that reflex action? Oh, and then yeah, one, yeah. More, one, more, one more on top of that is they would also get so into either sleeping or eating that they that they were they would just stop their hearts would stop beating they would just get so sedated by whatever they were doing um, that we had to be they sent them home on monitors and we had to be vigilant of you know tickling their feet or you know poking them a little bit just to get them back into you know a, a, a conscious state to to do whatever they were doing yeah yeah so you're you're uh, you're focusing on two responses that are um, critically controlled by the brain and, and the central nervous system. And, uh, you know, we, we know so much about the brain development. Um, and again, the, the longer time that, that the babies can stay inside and, and go through the full, um, through the full period of development, the more nerve, the more the nerves continue to develop and the reflexes are naturally, uh, matured. And so, you, you talked about two major re- reflex functions. One is the coordination of a suck and a swallow, um, and it's um, it's something that develops, you know, generally around uh, in terms of maturity, 34, 36 weeks, um, 38 weeks. But some kids it, it can sort of be a little bit slower, and so it, it's very common. Uh, to have to uh, to do what was done with the girls, which is to, to provide the food directly into their stomachs uh, with tubes and, and while that final stage of maturation of those reflexes occurs. And 
And we certainly have learned a lot about how to help do that as well with, with oral therapy and oral stimulation. And so um, we've, we've gotten better at, at treating that. And the second part of this central nervous system development that you're talking about is really the brain center that controls breathing and, um, and subsequently to breathing the heart rate. And um, so that's what, what I think happened often to the girls was what was called apnea. Uh, which is a pause in the breathing and apnea prematurity is a very, very common thing. And as the, as the baby stops breathing, the oxygen level drops and it was natural also for the heart to drop as well. And so the two of them were definitely linked together. And so you, we would always monitor the kids until a period of time where we didn't see any of those episodes because you never wanted to risk sending a, a baby home uh, where that would be the case. And, and so stimulating them was a way to do that. The other thing, and I can't remember if the girls were on that, but another treatment while just looking for it and mechanically sort of stimulating the baby so that they startle and, and start breathing again was to use a, a medical st- a stimulant, which was actually just caffeine. And so caffeine uh, and caffeine derivatives were um, really good at, at activating the, the part of the brain that controls breathing. Um, and so it was a it was a medication that we commonly use to try to address this uh, the so-called apnea of prematurity. Um, but until you were sure that that wasn't happening uh, at all um, anymore, uh, we would we would make sure that we would monitor the babies uh, as they did at home. Yeah, we uh, well, I, I, maybe thirty years ago was a different time, but we were allowed to bring the the kids home with sleep monitors and we had to you know be vigilant about and it was it was not an infrequent occurrence where either they would get into their feeding and they would just we'd had to watch whether their lips were turning blue or their feet were turning blue or their fingers were turning blue or any of those type of events or whether they whether they, they were sleeping so soundly we we would have to like nudge them when the monitor kind of went off so it yeah. was it was a bit yeah. it was a bit hectic for the parents. Uh. <laughs> uh, we we uh, we heard we heard that uh, very often, uh, and and it creates you know it's in many families create creates alert fatigue and uh, and then you start you know you start ignoring them and and you know unfortunately sometimes it's for real and you know, it's always a challenge. Yeah, well, thirty years they're healthy, they're beautiful. And they're living their life, Tommy. So it's quite, it's, quite amazing. Yeah, it is quite, quite amazing. amazing. It is quite amazing. Well, thank you for allowing me to do this interview. I'm going to turn the recording off right now. That was 37 high quality minutes. So let me turn that off. <laughs>